You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. If you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Some of you uh, may have already looked at the title of the message this morning. And uh, I can hear it now. That crazy pastor's gone liberal. He's encouraging us to get new wine in this place. And uh, that is not at all what um, the message is this morning. Uh, as we get into the text, my prayer for you is that you see um, what that means here this morning. But by God's Holy Spirit, he would do that. Um, and so we are going to walk through this text together. It's been kind of a message that's been on my heart for a number of weeks and even months um, but it is entitled New Year, New Wine, New Skin. Uh, some of you made New Year's resolutions and that may have included new skin, uh, at least as you're thinking about the way that you would live your life. Some of you are going, oh, all right, the pastor's going to throw a party. We got new wine flowing in this place. Um, but that's not at all. That's not at all the message of the text. In fact, I want to be clear right up front based on what Jesus teaches here. Um, and add to it a couple of passages, and we could, we could be all over the Bible in this this morning, uh, but I want you to hear these clearly because I don't want you to miss the meaning of Jesus' words. Proverbs 20 and verse 1 says that wine is a mocker, and strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. And then to the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, and do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation but be filled with the Spirit. So neither this text nor my message to you this morning is an endorsement or an encouragement to drink. Drunkenness is clearly sinful, and drinking can be sinful. Now, we don't have time to unpack that entirely this morning, but suffice it to say that the Bible is filled with warnings about alcohol. And so if you are the one who's fallen into such sin, I would encourage you to repent because the Bible calls you to obedience. But this is not a sermon about the moral or spiritual implications of alcohol. Rather, Jesus teaches a very profound truth when it comes to new wine, new wineskins and living the new life as a Christian. So where is this title going and I think that you understand, you'll understand the title again once we look more closely at the text. So if you found your place there in Matthew 9, I want to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 9, and we'll begin at verse 14 and following. Then the disciples of John came to him, that is Jesus, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast? Often, but your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? 
But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch pulls away from the garment and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins or else the wineskins break. The wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. Let's pray. Lord, you spoke often in your word in parables, stories and object lessons that were intended to communicate powerful truth, truth that would be life changing, that would set the course of our lives both together and individually as the body of Christ. Lord, often those parables are difficult to understand what you're getting at. And this may be one of those instances. And so I pray that you would guard us as only you can from misunderstanding. Lord, that we would not take this text and use it in ways that would not be honoring to you. Be it to justify things in our lives or to make certain decisions that we aren't sure if you're calling us to. I pray, God, that you would. You would guard us from all error, that your Holy Spirit would lead us into all truth and that we would be profoundly convicted by what you teach us here this morning. Lord, if there is one here this morning who doesn't know Christ, I believe that this text presents the gospel very clearly. And so I pray that as it becomes clear that they would be convicted of their sins and their need for a savior And that today they would repent and trust Christ for salvation. Lord, I pray for others who may may be making other spiritual decisions in this place. That you would lead, guide, and direct those thoughts and those decisions. And that they would be bold enough to obey you today. And I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, thank you. You may be seated. So let me kind of give you a road map of where we are going. Uh, My message to you this morning is going to take a little bit of a different shape. Normally, it's it's characterized by a single truth from the passage. And that single truth is lived out in multiple ways. And that's generally kind of the outline that we follow and that most passages of Scripture follow. But when it comes to a parable or an object lesson, generally, Jesus is making one or two main points. And generally, even if it's more than one point, they're related to one another, kind of as part one, part two, part three, etc. In this case, Jesus really is trying to make two driving, uh, drive home two principles, two truths, two key truths about the way that we live our lives. So what I want to do this morning is unpack some background for you. So it leads us to those two truths. And then as we see them then to make three applications to our lives, three direct applications to to the way that these are lived out. So let's begin there trying to build some background to the passage. What in the world, when Jesus is teaching about new wine and wineskins, when he's teaching about unshrunk cloth, what in the world is he describing? And then a wedding, where, where did that come from? Well, here's the context. The disciples of John have come to Jesus And they've challenged him. They've raised an objection to the way that he's teaching, the way that he's living, as often the Pharisees did and others did of the day. 
And there are two primary objections in this text. And I think these are two common objections to Christianity in our day. I'll give them to you in the context. And then I want to give you kind of a a principle that transcends time. The Pharisees in the text before, you'll be familiar with the story. Jesus had gone to eat dinner with Matthew, the tax collector, and all of his friends and sharing Jesus with them. And then they make a complaint. They make a complaint about the way Jesus is responding to them, saying what? Jesus is hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. Shouldn't Jesus be in the church? Shouldn't Jesus be in the temple hanging out in righteous places? Jesus shouldn't be hanging out with these people. They're not worth his time. So here's objection number one. The gospel disregards human merit. The gospel actually gives absolutely no regard for human merit. Jesus doesn't look at your life or someone else's life and evaluate how much you do or do not deserve his love that we just sang about. When Jesus gives his love, it is not based at all upon human merit. It is based purely upon his grace. So Jesus goes on to answer those Pharisees and the objection that they had by saying, this is exactly where I need to be. Of course, these people don't deserve it. And the implication is, Pharisees, neither do you. In your self-righteousness, you've missed the reality of what I've come to bring. But we're not dealing primarily with that objection this morning. It's just a part of the context. The gospel disregards human merit. Here's the one that we deal with in the text. The disciples of John come to Jesus in verse 14 and they say, Why do we, the Pharisees, fast? We and the Pharisees fast often. By the way, the disciples of John the Baptist... John, who was declaring Jesus to come, why do we and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, fast all the time? But you come doing something entirely different. You're not fasting at all. I mean, it's not like you've just kind of backslidden. You're not fasting at all. What's the problem? And to which Jesus responds with this whole idea of the wedding and the wine skins and the unshrunk cloth. So what is he saying? The second objection Jesus answers with the gospel defies human expectation. The gospel defies human expectation. Jesus, listen to me carefully this morning. Jesus did not come to fit into the expectations of the world around him. Jesus came to transform the people in the world around him. And in order to do that, he totally and absolutely defied all the expectations they had, be it religious or otherwise. Think about it. Jesus, will you now come and set up your kingdom? The disciples say, and Jesus says, it is not for you to know the time or the place. You see, every expectation that Israel had and that everybody else had about the Messiah to come, every box they wanted to put Jesus into, Jesus fell outside of that box because he was altogether different. He was altogether different. And so Jesus came with a gospel that defies expectations. So how does he answer them in this text? Two primary word pictures, really the wine, the wineskins, the unshrunk cloth and the the patch are about the same picture. So two primary word pictures, a bride and a bridegroom. So picture of a wedding. And then he answers them with a second picture, wine and wineskins. Now, before you even get into the details of what those mean, at least the context should tell you that wine and wineskins and weddings 
were both used in times of celebration. It was joy. It was joyous celebration. The common picture between Jesus' two illustrations was joyous celebration. That's quite different than what the disciples were wanting him to do. The disciples of John, right? Why don't you fast? Fast is a time for grieving and mourning and brokenness. Jesus says it's not the time for that now. The, the wedding has come. The wine is here. The new wine is here. It's time to celebrate what Jesus is doing. And so hear this. A gospel that disregards human merit and defies human expectation is not bad news. It is good news. It's good that Jesus doesn't fit into your box. That's because he's so much better than any box you could ever create for him. It's good that Jesus came for sinners. You know why? Because every single one of us in this room are sinners. There's no one righteous. No, not one. None of you are above anybody else. Not me, not you, not anyone else in any other church. We're not above anyone else. The only difference maker in our life is Jesus Christ. Amen. The only thing that's changed in us is Christ. But because Jesus is in us, so much has changed and it is good news. We live a life of continual good news. The one we're focusing on this morning, the expectation that they had on Jesus is the the very objection that this text deals with. The keys to interpreting this understand that the bridegroom was a Jewish metaphor often used about God and his people. Think about the story of Hosea. When God told Hosea to go take Gomer as his wife and he would demonstrate through that that picture that he was faithful to his bride, Israel. And so Jesus here is that long expected expected bridegroom and the guests at the wedding are Jesus followers. And then corporately, the church is the bride. And so it's a celebration of long promised redemption. John the Baptist even used this metaphor as he Brought in, he he ushered in the coming of Christ. Remember making that announcement. John 3, he who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices. There's the rejoicing greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. You see, the joy of Christ is full at the coming of the bridegroom. And then maybe to reinforce the idea, Jesus says there's coming a time when the disciples will fast. But it's not when the bridegroom is here among us, Jesus, God with us. Remember, it's not that moment. It's when the bride, the bridegroom is taken away. The term is a violent kind of a term. It's anticipating when Jesus would be arrested and go to the cross. That would be a time for mourning and a time for grief. And so Jesus is saying the bride is here. It's, It's a time for rejoicing. It's new. And he goes on to to contrast then. Old and new, constantly throughout the text, right? So, old cloth, new cloth. Old skin, new skin. Old wine, new wine. You see the picture? There's a contrast throughout the text that there is a day that was a time for mourning, but a new day has come, and that day is a time for rejoicing. It's a time to leave the practices of the old day behind and to take up the practices of the new day. Why? Because there is something more appropriate for the new that God has done. And I want to say to you this morning that God is constantly doing new 
things. Here again and again, we see news. So truth number one, there's two primary truths in the text. Here's the first one. Jesus is making all things new through the gospel. Jesus is making all things new through the gospel. Every day that we live, Jesus has done a new work of creating what was broken by sin and restoring it through the redemption of his blood. Every single day that's happening. You say, I look around me and the world's falling apart. Yes, but we are being redeemed day by day. And every single day there are people coming to faith in Christ all over the planet because God is making all things new. And I know my Bible tells me and I believe that one day everything will be ultimately brand new. Nothing broken. Jesus is doing that in a process over the course of time. And that's what he's saying to these disciples of John. Did you not know that I came to do a new thing? That's his whole point. I'm making all these things new. Now, don't miss this. The fasting of John's disciples was not wrong. It was not wrong in its time for anticipating the spiritual blessings that were coming. You hear you hear that this morning? Their fasting was right in the day. But this is a different time. Jesus has inaugurated a new kingdom. And this is a time for rejoicing just as in a wedding. There's a time for preparation and there's a time to celebrate. And this was the time to celebrate. Now, we're going to come back to that second picture in a moment and pick up that second truth. But I want you to hear this morning the testimony of all of Scripture. The new thing that God is doing is not something that it was experienced 2,000 years ago when he drank a cup in an upper room with his disciples. The new thing that Jesus is doing has been being done all throughout since Jesus partook of the new cup. Jesus is constantly making all things new. You don't believe me? Listen to Isaiah 43. Do not remember the former things, he says, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Or think about the promise in Jeremiah 31 of a new covenant. He says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And he goes on to describe what that new covenant would look like. The Lord's Supper, of course, in Luke 22. Likewise, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. As we go on in the gospel, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20, likewise, or rather, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. Say new creation. New creation. Old things have passed away. Become all things. Behold, all things have become what? New. Or still making things new. Revelation 21. Then he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make. All things new. And he said to me, write these things, write these words, uh, write for these words are true and faithful. Or Lamentations 3, we love to quote this one, but this is not just describing God's mercy. But it says, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Because His compassions, they fail not, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You see, God is always doing a new thing. 
He has been since the beginning of creation when creation fell and he engaged in a process to redeem it. He has always been doing a new thing. We are in and are being ushered into a new thing at every single moment. It is present continuous. So what about this new joyous thing? That leads to the second truth. And before it goes up on the screen, pay attention to the illustration here of what Jesus is using. Don't miss it. There's two primary things that he talks about in the second part of this text when he gets into this idea in verse 16 of the shrunken cloth and the, the, the wineskins. Think about the old cloth. That shirt or that pair of pants that you've sent through the washer time and time again. Maybe it was that sweater that your grandma gave you for Christmas and you never wore it because you thought it was the ugliest thing on the planet. But you accidentally sent it through the, the washing machine and then the dryer and you made a new, uh, a new sweater for Lucy. That's, that's the name of our dog. Uh, whatever it is, right? If you take that shrunken item and you say, well, there's a hole in it. So I'm going to take a patch, a new patch, and I'm going to put it on that item. And the same thing happens again. You know what happens to that patch? Anybody know? It kind of shrinks in around it and the patch tears off. It tears up. That's what he says. The patch tears off when it shrinks. Patch pulls away from the garment. If you try to patch, listen closely, if you try to patch a new piece of cloth, or an old piece of cloth rather, with a new patch, the patch will eventually tear away from the cloth. You can't keep putting new patches on old garments. Eventually, you have to throw out the old garment and make a new one. So take that illustration into illustration number two, old versus new wineskins. So a used wineskin, what happens in a wineskin, I don't know if you're familiar with them, um, but as a wineskin contains the, the wine that is fermenting, gases are emitted and that wineskin stretches. And eventually that wineskin stretches out. If you keep putting new wine in that wineskin, the, the gases continue to emit and eventually that wineskin wears out and it bursts. And all of the wine goes all over the place. Used wineskins that have been stretched as far as they will stretch eventually burst. And gases produced by fermenting will stretch out the old Stretch those wineskins beyond their breaking point. And you have to put new wine into new wineskins. You can't put them in the old wineskins. Y'all get that? You can't put them in the old ones. You've got to put it in the new ones. There's nothing wrong with the wine. It's the wineskin. In other words, the new wine needs a new form. Now watch this. If you try to put the new wine in the old wineskins or a new patch on an old garment, what do you create? Damage. Right? It tears apart. That's what he says. In both cases, it absolutely tears apart. So it doesn't make any sense to use the old garment with the obvious holes in it. And if you use the old wineskins, they're going to tear apart. So some of you might say, well, why don't you take the old wine and put in the old wineskins and the new wine and separate it out? The whole problem is you run out of old wine eventually. You can't just simply preserve the old wineskins and the new wine. They are mutually exclusive. You must move to new wineskins in order to support new wine. And this is what Jesus is saying. So don't miss truth number two. The fresh work of God 
cannot be contained in old or expected forms. Y'all hear that? Everything they expected Jesus to be, they wanted to place him into this mold of fasting. That's what it should look like. We expect that's what it should look like. Jesus says, you can't put new wine into old wineskins. There's a new form today that the same, the same glorious, joyous, celebrating substance in this case needs to go in. The goodness of God, the freshness of God has not changed. But the place where God dwells, the, the form in which God shows Himself in powerful ways, does absolutely and must by necessity change. Y'all follow that? That's what Jesus is teaching His disciples. He didn't conform to their religious form. Now, don't miss this. It's not because their religious forms were wrong. It's because they were not appropriate for the day. For the freshness that God had to offer, they weren't appropriate for that that new wine. In other words, if they were to receive him, they would have to adjust their expectations and not try to contain him in the old forms. Y'all following me? It's not the wine that needed to be adjusted. It's the form, the skin. To do otherwise, if they didn't come into Jesus' new form, To do otherwise would cause spiritual damage, just like the wineskins bursting or the cloth tearing. Just like them being further damaged or bursting, trying to keep the new thing in the old form would cause serious damage. Like the wine, you don't need to throw out the message. Rather, you need to exchange the wineskin. The message is good and fresh and joyous. But the form must continually be kept new and fresh. If the wine is to be preserved. The message. The gospel. I think the application is clear. But just in case. I want you to hear three applications. And one of them. Is a direct application to theology. And I think that that's the primary thrust. Of Jesus message. The form that it takes however. Also becomes very true in practice. And in the church. And so here's here's the three applications that I think we take away from Jesus words this morning. Number one. You can't live the new life. In all the old ways. You can't live the new life in all the old ways. Now, what do I mean by new life? What does it mean For a person to go from an old life to a new life. We're not describing New Year's resolution, although that's absolutely applicable. But what we're what we're describing is the old man and the new man. When God does a transformative work on an individual, when they are recreated by God, three words really or three different phrases really describe that process in the Bible. A new covenant, we've already looked at. When Jesus came to make a new promise. You see, the old promise was dependent upon human merit in some sense. But the new promise would not be dependent upon what we can do at all. 
In fact, Jeremiah said that the law would be taken and written on human hearts, that we would be created new. Our heart would be exchanged for a new heart and we would want to do the things of God. Literally, the promise was based on what God would do in us, not what we could do for him. That's good news, isn't it? Because I can't do anything ultimately for God without messing it up royally. But because of what Christ has done, the new covenant which is in His blood, then we can no longer live, we don't ever live like, we don't live that new life in the old ways. We'll come back to that in a second. The other phrase is, one of the other phrases is new birth. So you're born again. That's the new heart that we've been given. When we're regenerated, created anew. And the third way is new creation. And so you've been created to live a life, not to walk in the oldness of life, as we talk about in baptism, but the newness of life. That's what you're created for. Created beforehand in Christ Jesus for good works, Romans 8. So you don't live the new life in all of the old ways. And I want to tell you that there's a lot of Christians walking around who are trying to live the old life, the, the new life rather, in all of the old ways. Either they're trying to live righteously in obedience to God in their own strength and their own power, or they're trying to live a double life where one life is at church and we live a life that looks like Jesus here. We're holy. You step out. That's holy concrete out there. I don't know if y'all knew that, but you step out on the concrete. Everything gets better, right? Wrong. You're the same person in here as you are out there. You just wear a good mask. And so some of us try to live a different life, a double life. The reality is we can't live this new life in Christ in all the old ways. Maybe just to point out some ways that it's different. It's about the gospel, not religiousness. It's not about all these things you can do for God, like fasting and praying and reading your Bible and going to church. It's not about all of that. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ, whereby we receive his righteousness. And then all of those things are the overflow, the outflow of what Christ has done in us. It's about the gospel, not about religiousness. It's about grace and not works. You're no longer trying to merit. You realize no matter how good you think you can be, you could never be good enough to earn God's favor. So you begin to see your life not in hopelessness, but you see your sin as God sees it and you hate your sin and war against it. And yet you rely upon the grace of Christ to forgive your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's the picture of the gospel. It's a new man, not the old man. The ways of the old man have died. They've been buried with Christ. You don't come to Christ and keep doing all the same old stuff and just baptize it and make it all better. You come to Christ and you are different. To do anything less, to try to live the new life, in all of the old ways, would only cause spiritual damage in your own heart. Guilt, shame, regret, hopelessness. But when you live the new life in the new way, it's the grace of Christ that sustains you. You're able to obey. So that's the theological application. Secondly, the application to practice. You can't celebrate the new day by dwelling on yesterday. You can't celebrate the new day by dwelling on yesterday. Now, this is what the enemy loves to do to believers. We, we get so caught up in really one of two different things in this, in this vein. 
either A, we get caught up in all of our failures of the past. Right? Anybody been there? Maybe just me. Okay. We get caught up in all of our failures of the past. We live in that. And then in the in the present, we can't live in the victory that is Christ that we sang about this morning because we're too stuck in all of our failures. Or number two, we get so caught up in the victories of the past. That we begin to fail in the present. In the case of getting caught up in the failures of the past, we live in sin and guilt regret and doubt, all of those things, all the things of yesterday, we're constantly reminded of our past. And as one song put it, when Satan reminds us of our past, it is him that needs to be reminded of his future. You see, victory is in Christ, no matter, no matter how our life tells us different. Victory is Christ. He's already won it. It's secured. He won it at the cross and the resurrection. And so we don't live in the pain, the sin, the guilt, the regret, the doubts of the past. And at the same time, you cannot ultimately celebrate today if you're dwelling on all the victories of yesterday. If your life is continually lived in the past, you will never move forward. You see, God wants to do a new thing in your life. You are being sanctified. That means that in a process over time, you are becoming more and more like Jesus. Well, you looked like Jesus yesterday, so you're just going to base your life on that. That ignores that you're in process. Absolutely ignores it. So you live all of life in this pattern. That God did something great in my life yesterday and I rejoice in that and I celebrate that and I thank Him for that. But I know by faith God is going to do something great in my life in this day. And I will not sacrifice hanging out in the past for the sake of celebrating what God wants to do in my present and what He will ultimately do in my future. You see that? That's not just positive thinking, that's Bible. That changes the way we live. And so we don't celebrate the old at the cost of the new, but rather we celebrate, at the, uh, celebrate the old so that we might move into the new. Here's the last one. And I think probably, probably the clearest practical application of the text in the day. We're being most faithful to exactly what Jesus meant it is, this, it is this particular truth. You can't, application of the church, you can't do a new work while clinging to old methods. You can't do a new work while clinging to old methods. How many of you believe, just like Jesus coming 2,000 years ago, that Jesus has got a work for us to do right now? How many of you believe that? If you don't believe that, you need to check your heart and you get on your knees before the Lord and ask Him what He's, got, what he's still got you on the earth for. Because He's sovereignly keeping you here for something. You're not here for no purpose. You're here by design. So if God's got a new work to do and you're busy clinging to the old methods, you can't do it. You can't do it. Notice that the text is primarily about religious forms and structures. Fasting. Celebration of a wedding. These are all religious things. We have a tendency with each new generation 
to cling to our methods and lose sight of the message. I want to tell you this morning that that is just as much true for the person in this room who is 80, 90 years old and for the person who has just been born. Every new generation has to learn to let go of the methods at some point in order to pass the torch to the next generation. If we don't, here's what happens. The church will be phenomenal and will be doing a great work for the Lord. But at some point, when the methods stop working, the church will grow older and older and older. And eventually, it will be lost in destruction and torn apart. Because we've kept the old wineskin and tried to patch it with new patches. You follow that? What Jesus is calling us to do is to exchange, exchange the wineskin for a new wineskin that we might see God do a new work. You can't experience the freshness of God if we want to cling to the old wineskins. You say, well, what, if, what about this, Pastor? What if we don't spoil the message? What if we take that same old gospel message And we put it back into the same old wineskins. Maybe it will work there. There's two problems with that. Number one, the whole picture of old wine and new wine. The message hasn't changed, but if you want God to be fresh in His Word and in His message and in a fresh work in what He's going to do, then you've got to say we're going to take the new wine that He's given us and put it in a new wineskin. It's the only option. But I think the more compelling reason we can't do that is because it's not what Jesus says to do. Notice what Jesus says very carefully in verse 17. They don't put new wine in old wineskins or else wineskins, the wineskins break, the wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. Here's what we do. Here's what Jesus says to do. They put new wine in new wineskins and both are preserved. That's Jesus' call. Question. How do we preserve the gospel message in our day? We keep the message the same, fresh, bold, spirit-filled. But we put it into new shapes and new packages so that it continues to be preserved. That is, in fact, what the church has done throughout the, throughout the ages. Throughout history, the church has always put the gospel into a new wineskin. The day came whenever we had to see churches transition into different forms, different buildings, different meeting facilities, different schedules, different places in the world, different ways of, of starting up churches. It's happened since the beginning of, of the church. The question is not whether we we will ultimately change because that's just that's going to happen. We're going to get new wine from God. Praise God. The question is whether we will put it in new wineskins and preserve it. Or whether we'll keep putting it in the same old wineskins and eventually it bursts. And it's destroyed. And the wine spoils. And it has to be kept somewhere else. So the message is true of you and your life as well. You ever heard the phrase, keep doing the same old thing, the same old way, expect different results? That's the definition of what? 
and sanity. Yeah. Some of you keep living the same way over and over and over. And you're getting the same results and you look around and you wonder why the world's the same as it is when you started. Jesus came to redeem us, to create us new. Have you been created new this morning? I'm not asking you if you said a prayer, you signed a card, you walked an aisle. What I'm asking you is, has the Holy Spirit of God reached down and plucked your stony heart out of you and replaced it with a heart of flesh so that you were born again and you love the things of God? See, that's what it means to be saved. So with every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, I want to just invite you to come. Debbie is going to come and play and this morning. We're just going to have some time, a time of music and a time of response. When you just simply need to obey God with your life. Listen, I don't, I don't know what it is that God's laid on your heart. You know your life. You know your heart. But you can be certain that He does as well. Today you need to respond in faith and obedience. Sometimes the Lord just jerks us up by, by the back of the ear. And says, this is how I want you to live. But we've got to be willing to obey Him. So in just a few moments, we're going to stand and you know the decision that's on your heart. I don't even have to tell you what it is. You're just wrestling with whether to obey or not. I want to encourage you to obey, plead with you to obey Christ. So in just a few moments, we're going to stand and, and sing. And you just simply need to come. The altar will be open. Maybe you need to pray for somebody in this place. Maybe you need to pray for somebody who's not here. I don't know what the case is in your life, but you need to respond today. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, as we stand and I pray, Lord, I pray that you have your way in this place, that our hearts would be conformed into the image of your son, that we would love the things that you love and today would obey you with our lives and ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. You come even as Debbie plays, just as I am. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.